Psalm 13 for the director of music, a Psalm of David. Verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Awesome. James. I'm not Ross. Yeah, the the magic of TV. (laughs) The magic of TV. (laughs) You put a screen up and we'll swap the person. The first time in my life I've been able to do magic. So here we go. Uh, Welcome. It's great to see you. Hey, thanks. I was just saying to the team, this is my first kind of human interaction on a Sunday morning in about four months. So it's a huge privilege to be with (laughs) you guys. (laughs) It was harder for you than the rest of us to get out of bed. I was saying I was excited. I'm an absolute extrovert. So it was good to be able to jump out and be able to uh, spend some time with actual people other than my family. Love my family. Absolutely. But you know what I mean? Real people. And we've been talking uh, throughout our journey about our fur pets and talking to you got a dog, is that right? I do. My dog had an operation recently, so it's been bursting into all of our meetings with this ridiculous cone around its head. <laughs> yeah, good. But living the COVID home isolation dream, as I'm sure the rest of you have who are working from home as well. Yeah, that's right. Now, um, we've been in this journey in the Psalms looking at how this, I guess, this kind of wrestle between living in the darkness and how God works in the middle of that yep. uh, and helps us, I guess, walk with us. Uh, guide us in that and help us see him in that journey and that that God really does change us and transform us in the darkness. Open doors, um, how does that kind of, that message I guess or that? Yeah, it's a a really good way to open and in fact even just hearing uh, us reading that psalm together this morning just reminded me really the core kind of principle of why we exist. You could see there throughout that psalm uh, the writer sort of having this dichotomy of, of dealing with present day suffering and challenge and he feels that the world is pressing in around him but at the end of that he's still able to say that the Lord is his refuge and his strength and uh, Open Doors was founded by a man named Brother Andrew who became aware of a church in the Soviet Union what's now Poland uh, that was on the brink of being you know snuffed out because of this kind of extreme Soviet communist oppression and uh, he sensed the Lord speak to him through a verse that says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And uh, it was, uh, you know, obviously twofold, a, a literal physical death, but more than that, a, a spiritual death. People being crushed to the point that they were willing to give up their faith and their hope in Jesus. And so looking at that psalm, uh, our purpose really is to be able to strengthen people, to be able to still say that Jesus is their Lord and their refuge and their strength despite the present imminent suffering around them. So we now work in over mm-hmm. 70 countries, strengthening Christians to remain uh, in some of the most difficult places on uh, on uh, earth to yeah. follow Jesus. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, we're going to, I guess, find out here about some of these churches this morning and about Open Doors. Um, but why don't we begin by watching a video? Do you want to set us up before we get to this yeah, video? Yeah, this is just a really short kind of explainer. It tells you a little bit about the way we work around the world, but also what's happening with regards to COVID-19 and the persecuted church. So you've already heard there uh, the incredible partnership with Southside Presbyterian. We're just so grateful for you guys, for your ongoing support. 
And uh, I think there's something important to note about that tagline there, that we help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And that doesn't mean just in the 70 countries that, uh, you know, your finances and your support help us uh, to be able to send those resources to. We believe that the narrative and the story of faith amidst suffering and, and uh, persecution is essential for the Australian church as well. So we believe today that this message would be something that would inspire you and encourage you, challenge you to live an audacious bold faith-filled life for jesus here as well yeah it's awesome it's um so encouraging and we hope that that's uh, our experience this morning as we hear from the persecuted church i know in our discussions uh it always encourages me um to know that people are pursuing jesus in some of the most difficult moments in the darkness um but it doesn't just encourages me encourage me it kind of spurs me into action which is such a good thing as well so um You've joined us in the past to talk about Open Doors and the, the persecuted church, I guess. Um, but I wonder, you know, we've been experiencing the coronavirus and this is what our service has looked like over the last 10 weeks or so. Um, but I wonder how's the church been going um, around the world in some places during the coronavirus? Because I imagine in some places it would be some unique challenges. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as you've said, absolutely. It's already difficult following Jesus in some of these countries. Uh, but then you throw this extra crisis on top and we get reports where uh, Christians are denied access to basic uh, rights, basic medical supplies uh, just because they're a Christian. They won't be able to access um, protective equipment. In some countries, uh, Christian medical workers are being selected first to be sent out into the front lines so that they're um, the highest at risk. And, you know, that's that's challenging. It's really difficult. We've got um, the, the number one most difficult country in the world uh, for the last 18 years is North Korea. Around 300,000 Christians are alive in North Korea. And by some uh, miracle, I put that in inverted commas, uh, the official uh, statement says that North Korea has no cases of coronavirus. Now, we have sources that would say that's very, very difficult to believe. Um, in fact, we've had reports of people being being killed instantly as soon as they show symptoms that that would be much more common for what we'd see somewhere like North Korea and the places where Christians are kept are in these horrific um, prisons and, and I, I don't say prisons as any indication of what our prisons would be like here in Australia these are some of the most horrific human rights abuses known to man and you know should a pandemic like COVID sweep through that would be absolutely horrific so the situation is dire really requires prayer to be honest for Christians um, but amidst situations like that, we are also seeing enormous hope. Uh, and I look to somewhere like Iran. Uh, Iran, we also believe, is probably massively underreporting the death toll. Um, but I have this incredible quote that I'd love to read out from one of our field workers yeah. in Iran. Uh, and they said this, that house churches have become used to living in difficult circumstances. As I mentioned, the, the persecuted church, the underground church there has been meeting a little bit like we are now in homes for centuries. And it's it's doing pretty well. Iran's the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. So when the COVID-19 virus reached Iran, they were, of course, afraid that it would hit them or their loved ones. But at the same time, they were undaunted. They felt it was their calling to take care of people around them. Not only other believers, but neighbors, colleagues, or others nearby who were struggling. Packages of food and supplies have been delivered by these believers to both Christians and Muslims. So I think it's important for you guys to realize at Southside that you are part of that. And the fact that you're able to continue to resource uh, Christians to be salt and light in some of the most difficult 
parts of the world is really quite profound and you're doing that all from the safety of of your homes yeah wow mm. um that's so encouraging um to hear that churches around the world in this is providing some unique challenges and yet they're kind of pushing into that um you know in the in this psalm he's crying out to god in the middle of darkness but he he trusts god he says you know we we trust in your unfailing love and to hear that these churches are experiencing the challenges of the coronavirus, but kind of going, all right, let's, let's push into this. Let's be God's people in this. And there's unique opportunities coming out of that as well. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, now, where do you see for Australia as we kind of, um, you know, live in, in these times? And, and hopefully in Australia, I mean, we are one of, you know, the, the most fortunate countries um, when it comes to the coronavirus and how we're recovering from that. How do you see what you've seen in, in Open Doors, what Open Doors sees? Um, how do you see this kind of encouraging us, helping us, and what's next for us as Australians? It's been really fascinating for us as a ministry because in many ways we see the persecuted church or the isolated underground church has kind of provided a pretty cool framework for us to learn from. Uh, so quite early in the piece, we, we were able to provide a whole lot of resource to the Australian church, which was really cool to learn uh, from the persecuted church. Um, one principle in particular that I thought was quite profound is uh, in China, uh, there, there used to be, there was always a, a degree of Christianity and, and public kind of church expression. But then as persecution pressed down, something quite fascinating happened. And it began to sort of eliminate a whole lot of the, the kind of bureaucratic power structures in even in church life and what ended up happening is you kind of see this dispersion of the gospel and people are meeting in their homes and I don't know if your life is anything like mine uh, I, I've got small children and all of a sudden you kind of can't outsource the discipleship of your own family anymore and you see this principle where mums and dads are becoming pastors of their own homes which i kind of i kind of like that i think there's a degree of responsibility there as a parent that i should uh, not maybe have taken so lightly in the past and so you see this principle that that the kind of responsibility for discipleship ends up moving down and out through the church uh, i was sharing uh, with ben that that one of my neighbors uh, was in a really challenging situation and ended up having a conversation with me around his mental health and I'd never been able to have those kind of conversations with him but the fact that we were both kind of forced mm. into our homes yeah. <laughs> in a vulnerable moment he was quite transparent with me like that so I feel like you know maybe for you as you're sitting there start thinking about your neighbors and your broader community that you're like the pastor of your street in this environment yeah, yeah. so it's almost in some ways we have this temptation to go okay the church is going to be we can just dump everything in terms of Christianity on the church. Um, I just got to rock up on a Sunday or, you know, if we're lucky, growth group throughout the week. What this is doing here in Australia is actually going, hey, there's a responsibility that we need to take as individuals for our own faith um, in our families and in our streets. And you mentioned in, in China, this is in some ways what we've seen or what you've seen over there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, even on the back on the family front, I, I remember I was in Egypt two years ago and uh, we were moving through some remote villages uh, where there's a lot of extremism, Islamic extremism. And, and usually that happens where there is an absence of uh, literacy and high poverty. And so we have partners there that are helping train people, uh, you know, in, in basic Arabic so that they can read and write and interpret um, even the Quran and realize that the way that they're enacting the Quran is just based on what they've heard from someone else rather than what's written. Mildly controversial, but yeah. interesting nonetheless. But 
something that was quite fascinating there as well is that Christian kids are denied access to uh, even basic education because of their faith. And so we have a partner there that is helping disciple kids, and we visited one of the programs. And one of the projects uh, for the entry-level youngest age kids, age 7 to 10 years old, was the ability to recite the entire Sermon on the Mount by memory at the age of 7. I don't know how many of you can do that. I, I probably couldn't do that right now, for example. But seven-year-old children. And then the higher end of that, uh, that schedule was age 12, and they were able to, the higher students were able to write down the entire New Testament by memory. And so I remember I got on a plane and it actually ruined me. I was going back through my notes and I thought, what am I doing to invest into the discipleship of my children? I think the first thing I did when I got back was, was went to, to Kurong and bought a whole lot of kids' resources. And I think it's similar to what we're seeing now, that we have a responsibility to disciple and pastor our kids yeah, in this moment. Yeah, it's so good. And that effect is going to be felt yeah. out that there's going to be something good that happens in our homes, in our streets, and all of that um, from us investing in our families. And so I guess as you were speaking there, I just want to encourage our parents who have been doing that uh, over the last 10 weeks because, yeah, it's been a difficult journey. I think for some, we've had moments of, of real great joy and um, the, the big highs and some moments of, of lows where it's been difficult. But uh, as we look at the church around the world, that, that as parents invest in their kids, that that's actually something really beneficial. Um, and, you know, we would, we would have said that before the coronavirus as well, that the primary discipleship happens in our homes. Secondary discipleship happens at church um, because there's such a big influence that parents have on their kids. So it's, it's awesome that we've kind of in some ways been forced into that over the last 10 weeks of going, okay, if you're a parent, here's the challenge for you um, to push into that space. Um, that's It's super encouraging uh, as we think about what that means for us here in Australia uh, to think about that sort of stuff. Um, now, in terms of as we move forward, you know, Ross and I were kind of joking in some ways about the restrictions lifting before. But there's going to be something interesting, I think, as we think about the restrictions here in Australia uh, slowly lifting. Um, you mentioned before you're an extrovert. Um, I am as well. And yeah, what I am finding is that as restrictions are opening up, intellectually, I'm up for it. But then when it comes to it, the actual moment of kind of going out and hanging out with people, there's something within me that almost stutters in some sense. And so, I don't know, in, in terms of speaking about that and thinking in that space, again, as we think through open doors, how do you see, what can, what can we take, be encouraged by, I guess, the global church and, and the challenge to be community and to push into that space? Yeah, I, I really identify with that, actually. It's been a, a strange sort of journey for me the last couple of weeks where we don't need excuses anymore to not want to go to a party you aren't allowed to go out so you end up spending all this time at home it's become quite cozy uh and I, i'm finding the same thing that there probably is going to take a lot of warming up for us to get used to being back in community uh, but i would say and again i, I don't want to patronize your church in any way but i would say for for the the pastoral team here that that now is a time more than ever that you are desperately needed in terms of the life of your community and providing um, a sense of care and connectedness for each other through this season. You know, what you, you see it all the time. I think nearly every day when I look through the news that we're seeing the, the issues of mental health in our country as a result of this lockdown. 
um, uh, are just logical, you know. And so I, I think it would make sense that now's the time to call on Southside to start looking after each other. And maybe that might even be one call to action uh, right now is to just be prayerfully considering who might need your support today. And then I would begin to start thinking about what that looks like for you next. Uh, we had this incredible privilege. There's been a few benefits have come out of this uh, whole lockdown. For us, obviously, international travel is, is quite expensive. Uh, and often a whole lot of our team don't get the privilege of being able to go to the field and meet these incredible people that we work with. Uh, but because of the lockdown, we had a, a secure uh, video connection with one of our field workers who was in very, very remote uh, Laos, on the border of Laos and Vietnam, a very, very dangerous part of the world for Christians where there's extreme communism. And uh, we were all involved in this call. So for the first time, a whole lot of our team that were previously unable to travel to the field were now face to face with the persecuted church. And we heard story after story of, you know, what it looks like and what the suffering has been like and what the challenge has been like. And then all of a sudden, this little video uh, popped open of a, of a man. I don't think he'd ever spoken to Caucasian people before. And then we're all there on this kind of video call with him. And he's in a, a little hut in remote Laos, children all around him. And he was our frontline field worker in that part of the world. And he was so excited to tell us his story. And more than that, he was excited to tell us that uh, one day prior, lockdown had lifted in his part of the world. And the first thing he did one day later was go straight out onto the front lines, check on all of his pastors, check how the church, the underground church was going, how the villages were going, how he could pray for them, what they needed. And so I was inspired by that. And obviously there's this bizarre dichotomy, right? Because I've got to do that safely. Yeah. We're, we're always conscious now of what the health risks look like, but it's never been safe for these people to share the gospel. Yeah. And so maybe that's an encouragement for you is that, you know, the, the persecuted church uh, don't have the freedoms we have. And, and the first thing uh, they were able to do as soon as these restrictions were lifted was go out and care for people. Yeah, yeah it's so it's so good to hear that. It's so encouraging. And, and to be reminded that, yeah, for these people, uh, it's never been safe. Um, and yet that's what God's called them to do. Um, and I think for us here in Australia, as we think through this as well, you know, I don't think in my life at the very least there's ever been a moment where I've appreciated our government as much as this time. And I think that we've been doing such a great job in all of this stuff. And even as they slowly um, release, I guess, these restrictions, um, we know that they're moving in safety. I think there's something good about that, that they're, they're moving slowly, which is a good thing for us. And as these restrictions lift, that there is actually a challenge for us to push into this, that if we've got room to meet with five other people, that that's actually a, a safe thing to do. And the encouragement there is to, okay, we might not, we might be, we might have enjoyed the 10 weeks that we've had, but let's, let's move into that. Yeah. Um, if, if the next stage is 20 people, let's see if we can meet again and push into that. And even though our temptation is going to be, but hang on, I, I've enjoyed my house. Yeah. I've enjoyed the time that I've had, the, the encouragement's there. Yeah, I think I shared a story, it reminds me, Ben, um, just around the value of community and why we would even choose to opt into or pursue community. And uh, I shared this story, I believe, on the podcast with you guys, but uh, I mentioned I was in Egypt, and I'll never forget 
Uh, I don't know if any of you out there are, are the kind of people that are rostered on to welcome people to church. Whenever I tell this story, I think of those people. Thank you, by the way, for your support and for your service to your local They've church. They've had a good... Our they welcomers have had a good break. What are you all doing? Do you, <laughs> yeah. get a, do you get dressed up and stand at your front door when one person comes over? I don't know, but I love those people now. I'm so grateful for them. But the backdrop to this story was uh, I'd only landed in Cairo one day earlier and, and our field team took us to the location of a significant recent attack. A, a huge bombing had happened there recently and it was still very visible. Uh, there was you know, shrapnel marks all up the walls. Uh, 27 women lost their lives on that day. It was a women's prayer meeting. Uh, on the day that this bomber uh, kind of did his worst. And uh, we were there and, and mourning with, with these women that were there. There was still around 150 people gathering to pray and worship despite the fact that a bombing had happened recently. It was so incredible. And uh, our partner kind of said to me, there's a woman here I really want you to meet. She took us across the courtyard. And as we approached the woman, it became clear the backdrop to her story. She was uh, still wearing black clothes, evidence that she was in mourning but she had this incredible smile on her face. And as we approached her, we could see a photo around her neck was of a man. And that man was the security guard, the only man present on that day who gave his life sacrificially, uh, you know, held back this bomber so that, that less women actually died because of his bravery on that day. Uh, but that, that was her husband who died. And so, again, I always think about the fact that she could have chosen, first of all, to run away from Jesus in that time of suffering but instead she clung to jesus and more than that she clung to that specific local community that she felt god had put her into and uh, she always said to us that she has one prayer for her church one request from her church can i do my husband's job in his honor so the day i met her she was sitting in his seat at that little security desk at the gateway to the chapel but she took it more than just a security checkpoint she was greeting people praying for them, smiling at them, welcoming them to church. And her name was Maria. And I always think of that. I think about the value of community and how precious it was to her that she could put aside that fear. Again, we want you to do it safely. You've heard all of that advice from your pastors here already this morning. We're not just going to be brazen and, and foolish about it. But I want you to think about the value that you place on the gathering of the community of faith. Because people like Maria value it to the point that they're willing to risk their lives in yeah. imminent danger. I mean, it's it's so powerful. Unbelievable story of faith in the middle of that. Um, you know, I think of for us as a church, it doesn't take much, you know, to go, okay, church, you know, I won't go to church this morning. And, you know, the excuse is now um, we will in the next six months really have more excuses to up our sleeve than ever before. Um, but yeah, what you're touching on there is the value of community, um, that in the church around the world, they value community so much that, that they push into that space, even on the back of like, you can't even imagine how difficult it must be to move into that, um, environment on the back of a bombing, fear, you know, anxiety, all of that sort of stuff. And to go into that going, you know what, community matters to me more than, even my life in some sense, and I'm going to do this because we need community. We need each other. Um, I'm also reminded too, something we've been looking at throughout this series in the Psalms is the reason in the middle of darkness we can have hope and push into this stuff is because we have a king and a savior who's been there first. And um, we know that Jesus went through death for us. He died. He rose again. He gives us the hope that we can actually face death. We can face darkness 
knowing that we have a king and a savior who's been there first and uh, it's him who unites us together as well Uh, and i think as you're saying it's so helpful so encouraging as we gather together as we have the opportunity to gather together you know in this room uh, behind us that's been empty for so long um it's going to be hard for us but there's something so special about gathering together just as you were talking about the, the value of jesus in our worship reminds me similar to Mar- Maria's story, a Pakistani believer. And uh, there had been again a, a recent spate of bombings and we asked her, why do you continue to risk your life and go to church? And she said this sentence uh, that at least, you know, if I go to church and I die, at least then I'll enter into the fullness of worship. It almost sounds overly simplified, doesn't it? But it reminds me when Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That do we do we actually have an eternal perspective in our worship and our view of Jesus, or has it become something comfortable and temporal? Yeah. It's so challenging though, right? Yeah. Because there is wisdom in that. I think the persecuted church has taught me more about that struggle uh, between wisdom and faith than, than ever before. That there is a whole lot of grey between that we've got to do the right thing. And I love the fact that you wanted our government. I think our government are doing an incredible job. So there's absolute wisdom on one side and there's absolute faith as well. Yeah, and that idea of the comfort. You know, you may never experience a service in more comfort than you are right now, <laughs> you know, in, in the couch, wherever you are at home. Um, but yeah, God doesn't call us to comfort. Um, he calls us to community and to a church and to himself. And that's going to be difficult. And yeah, it's going to be hard for us moving forward. Uh, so appreciate you sharing about those, stor- uh, those stories because it's so good. Um, as we think about it, though, our call, I guess, is not just to community um, with each other, although that is so important. Um, but, you know, we, we talk a lot here at Southside that uh, we exist to make and grow disciples. Um, we want to reach our community. We want to see thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. We've had that mission for a long time here. Um, and mission is a big thing for us. And this has been a weird time you know, as we think about what it means for us just to even be at church and exist, let alone be on mission. And so I wondered, um, again, as we think about the, the church, the global church and, and mission and this season, what is it that we can take and be encouraged by from the global church? Our, our CEO, his name is Mike Gore, incredible communicator, by the way, but he has touched on this principle that he's noticed uh, during a period of suffering like this in the Western church. He calls it the great divergence. Uh, and the premise is that you see established Christians starting to question their faith when suffering hits them. And they say, God, how could you allow this to happen? And they maybe fall away. But at the same time, you see people who are previously affluent but far from God starting to ask the same sort of question, God, where are you in this? And they turn to him. And I would say that's something I've certainly noticed in my personal life, that there are more people asking those kind of big questions than ever before. And so the risk for us is how do we close that gap? How do we make sure that Christians in Australia are passionate about Jesus and are clinging to him despite the fact that they're suffering? And there may be people here, even listening today, who are facing immense suffering. Maybe you've lost your job. You you don't know about the security of the next few months for you. But I would say, you know, without patronizing you, we know that Jesus is with us. And it would be my prayer, my absolute prayer for you today, that you would know his presence more than ever before in this time that you would draw near to him and that as a testimony of that and out of that you would be able to bring salt and light to your community as well 
you know, I mentioned my neighbor and I pray for him all the time now. I feel like that's a responsibility that God's given me because of that conversation we had in a moment of vulnerability. I, I think that stuff doesn't just happen by accident. That's a really precious kind of moment. So maybe for some of you out there as well, um, it is time to start thinking about your immediate community around you and, and where can we learn from the persecuted church uh, and realize that that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth the cost. He's worth the risk of, of maybe feeling a bit stupid to our neighbors. Again, I know I've mentioned Egypt a few times. It's been a bit of a theme across this morning, but I'll never forget this one community of faith in a remote village in central Egypt and uh, I was sitting with the family members of, of the men who were killed by ISIS. I don't know if any of you saw this. It was a horrific video that ISIS released, um, killing, uh, I think it was 21, 21 men on a beach. And I had the privilege, immense privilege and honor of sitting with the widows and the children of those men. One of the most kind of traumatic, horrific, yet inspiring moments of my life. And uh, the reason it was inspiring is not only were they sitting there, yes, still grieving. We ended up watching the video together with them of the, their husbands being killed, which was just so traumatic. But what happened next, I will never forget, because they explained, like I said earlier, this kind of extremism happens where there's an absence of literacy. And these women have taken it upon themselves, despite the fact that they could uh, be inflicting immense uh, hatred or fear towards their enemies, they invite Muslims into their home and teach them to read and write. And that provides a gateway to share the gospel with them. And I just thought, you know, we, we hear these scriptures, uh, Jesus teaching, you know, bless those who persecute you. And it can seem so nebulous. I used to think that meant, you know, we think nice thoughts about them. We pray a little prayer for them. That's what bless them means. These people are showing me that it's really costly mm. and probably quite dangerous mm. and uh, would certainly be very emotional, but they are vulnerable and they welcome these people into their homes. They teach them, they give them a gift of literacy, they help upskill them, they, they lift them up into a higher kind of, you know, practical uh, space, mm. but then they, they share Jesus with them. And so I, I remember thinking for us here in Australia, now's the chance to share the gospel more than ever before. Mm. Again, I, I pray that you'd be inspired to live a bold and audacious faith uh, from our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, that this isn't just something that we throw money at and forget about, but this is something that transforms our faith walk with Jesus here as well. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, I'm, you know, as you're speaking there, encouraged. Uh, you talked before about this idea that community in some sense has been brought into our homes. You know, the sense in which we, we need to disciple in our homes. Um, I think there's a sense in which mission is the same thing. You know, it can be our temptation to think that people at church will do mission. And I, I'm not the evangelist. I'm not, that's not my job. I'm not meant to kind of be involved in that. And, you know, here at Southside, we have been running the life course uh, over the last few weeks, um, four weeks. It's been really awesome on Thursday nights um, to participate as a church in that sort of sense. Um, but even the way that we run the life course here at Southside, it involves us being able to actually push into our neighborhoods and our homes and uh, that sort of stuff where we invite people and we bring them along with us to that moment. And uh, as you were speaking there, just so encouraged by that to actually think mission isn't something we can palm off to other people. This is something that God calls all of us to. And we may not feel like we have all the words and, you know, everything like that. But as you were speaking about those women in Egypt there, I mean, I can't imagine that they felt like they were completely equipped in every single way either. But yet in the middle of difficulty, 
they pushed in knowing that this is what God has called them to. And this is what God has called us to as a church, to make and grow disciples, not just as the church, not just as the building, but as us as individuals, those people who make up the church. Um, it's so encouraging to, to hear that and to see that uh, from, yeah, the persecuted church. It's awesome. Um, so you said before uh, Open Doors exists not just to help people around um, the world. Uh, you know, often when we think of persecuted church, we think of places like you've spoken about, Egypt and uh, North Korea and stuff like that. But um, you said here in Australia as well. And so I wonder if this is a good way to kind of, as we wrap things up and as we think about what this means for us, to kind of push into that space of what this looks like for us here in Australia and how Open Doors can, I guess, equip us as we think about this. Something that's really uh, become clear to me since I've started working with Open Doors is that you don't need to travel to the other side of the world to meet people of a different faith. And uh, I'll never forget, you can be in the most obscure locations. I was in Jordan and I was talking to a man and uh, very broken English. And he ended up asking me what suburb of Sydney. I lived in Sydney at the time, what suburb I lived in. And his eyes lit up and he says, my uncle lives in the next suburb to that. And I, I could never believe it. And uh, we came back home and I ended up connecting. They, they, they actually pastored a church in that area. But the premise is there are, you know, I remember I was even preaching in a church in Wagga Wagga. And uh, the Baptist pastor of that church, uh, some of his community weren't aware that the largest percentage of Syrian refugees were three kilometers from the location of that church. And a whole lot of people in his church weren't aware of that. And I know, uh, you know, we weren't going to go here, but I know we talked about the fact that it's actually in the month of Ramadan right now. And in the south side of Brisbane, we have a, a huge Muslim community. You might not know that during Ramadan, we see the highest proportion of Muslims come to Jesus, where they're desperately searching for a God that they're terrified of in Allah. They end up finding Jesus in this season. It happens all over the world. So on our website, opendoors.org.au, we've got a set of specific resources to help you pray for those communities in your region. And uh, beyond that, we have uh, incredible regular prayer resources for the global persecuted church as well. They're not these big, lengthy, onerous uh, principles either. They might just be a 30-second prayer. So if you jump on there, you can sign up for free, and we send you just those regular prayer requests to keep you connected to the persecuted church. So give us that address again. Opendoors.org.au Easy. Awesome. Uh, it's it's so good to hear that, um, you know, the the world the world is gathered here i guess the nations you know um in acts they are sent to go and reach the nations we have a unique opportunity here in australia that the nations have come to us this is true around us and um you know that's not just different nationalities i mean we've been placed within our streets we've been placed in our workplaces we've been placed wherever we are right now for the purpose of reaching those people and that's what God's called us to. He's called us to go and speak and to be bold in that. Um, and this is not something, again, I guess we're, we're bringing it back. This is not something we do by ourselves. This is something we do as a, as a church, as a community, where we join with one another in this journey. And so it's just so helpful um, to, as, we, as we think about that to go, yep, I'm involved in this. This is not just something I can palm off to other people. Um, I must be involved in this. And even in the coronavirus stuff, I'm involved in this. You know, we were. I was speaking to someone last night um, from church who was saying that they've been able in this season to meet their community. You know, they've been only waving to them in the past, like, 12 years or whatever, and now they've been able to meet them as they've been walking around their community. That's been my experience as well and, and yours. And um, I, I think that, yeah, this is our call. This is what God's called us to, to push into our community for this sake. Um, it's been really good to have you here to join us this morning. Um, 
if you haven't, make sure you do check Open Doors out. Uh, go to their website. Have a look at those prayer points as well. Be encouraged. You know, I found it so helpful. If you're looking for patterns to pray f- pray through, uh, I've done this. We've done this before where you just go through and you work through the, the top, the di- most difficult places in the world. North Korea is number one. Is that right? Yeah. And, and pray for those countries. Pick a day and, and pray for that and move to the next country the next day. It gives us a global perspective that... Um, God is actually working in our world. And I've found it so helpful as I think through our partnership and uh, Open Doors. When I find it difficult, it's so encouraging to think through this reality that God is working around the world. And yeah, I might not be experiencing that fruit right now, but that doesn't mean that God's not working. And uh, it's so good. Awesome. So check out Open Doors. Um, go to their website. Have a look at that. A couple of, I guess, application points that we do just want to, I guess, remind of. Number one, we can pray. Pray for the church uh, overseas. Pray for the church here in Australia. Pray for those who are in the, yeah, I guess, who are pushing into mission and struggling in that. Number two, the community aspect of that. Um, we have a beautiful community here at Southside. Um, we have missed so dearly hanging out with you. But as we the coronavirus stuff as these restrictions release. There's going to be a challenge for us to enter back into community. Um, We're beginning a series next week in 1 Thessalonians where we see Paul just over and over again encouraging the church to love one another. This is what God's called us to. He hasn't called us to comfort. He's called us to be his church, and part of that is community. And so we'd love to encourage you. Reach out to one another. uh, Give them a phone call, but now you can meet with them as well. Go to your cafe, uh, support your local cafe, and have a a coffee with them. Uh, So that's the second challenge. And then finally, the mission of God. Um, Coronavirus doesn't stop God's mission. Uh, He calls us in this space to continue to be on mission here at Southside and around the world. And so we look forward to our partnership where we can continue to support you guys. Is there anything final you'd like to say, I guess, to Southside, to our church, um, before we see you? We probably won't see you for another 12 months. I'd love to pray for you and for your church, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Lord, I just thank you so much for, as as Ben's even just mentioned, that beautiful community of Southside. Uh, I pray that you would be with them all right now. Lord, you know every need. People that, that maybe are in that segment we talked about earlier that are suffering are finding this a challenging season. I pray that you would be present as the God of all peace, Lord, that you would be the Prince of Peace, that you would be so present, wonderful counselor, everlasting Father to them. Lord God, you know, in the broader community, the people that are in their neighborhoods, I pray that you would give these people the ability to share your gospel, um, you know, not just in some uh, nebulous, distant way, but in a personal way that shows your love and your care for the people of this world, Lord God. We thank you for your global church. Thank you that we get to be a part of that, that Southside are uh, intrinsically connected to the global church through this partnership, and we're grateful for that, Lord God. We lift it up before you. Lift up believers all around the world who are in difficult situations right now. Give them the endurance to continue to follow you, no matter the cost in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen.